What's up, amazing people? Glad you're here this morning. Uh, let's declare together the bottom line of what our church uh, is doing. What the heck we're doing here at JRC? And so we're going to do some declarations. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. That has been about four or five years we've been declaring that every Sunday. And so uh, what a fantastic truth about our church that uh, I pray we're living it out every day, that you are loving God and you're loving those that are around you. Don't panic, but in two Sundays, it's Christmas. I know that sounds crazy. Pastor Trevor said it's a Christmas Eve service. It's a Christmas Eve day service, not in the nighttime. So it's our regular time on Sunday. But I can't believe that it's like uh, Christmas already. Um, I'm really excited about some of the new things that we're going to do too, uh, about this hot cocoa bar. Uh, Normally we have lunch together, but uh, because it's Christmas Eve, we're we're thinking maybe you want to get to your family. You got a lot of obligations that day. So it's going to be real quick some uh, hot coffee and hot cocoa bar after, and and a mug exchange. And so I've already ordered my mug, and I can't tell you if it's really weird, or it might be weird, or it might be cool. Um, Art is in the eye of the beholder, right? So so we'll see. I I hope you uh, uh, join in that, too. That's going to be a lot of fun. So enough of that kind of all stuff. Uh, Let's get to the message today titled, Jesus' Miracles, Spirits Commanded. This is our third week about uh, looking at the miracles of Jesus, And like previous weeks, we're going to do two things. We're going to look at the miracle itself, and then we're going to explore what this shows about Jesus. So with each of the vignettes that we're going to look at, we're going to look at the miracle itself, and then what's it show about Jesus. So first, uh, today, we're going to be looking at things involving demon possession. Don't freak out. It is a little bit of a scary topic, but uh, we'll be good because Jesus is super powerful, so don't worry about it. Let's uh, begin with our warm-up verse. We've been warming up to the miracles of Jesus with the same verse for the last few weeks. And it's from Matthew 15, 29 through 31. Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up to the mountainside and he sat down and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid him at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled made well and the lame walking and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. In just the last two weeks, we've uh, seeing Jesus defy the laws of physics by walking on water. We, we heard him tell the wind and the wave to, to be quiet and then be calm. We saw him heal a, heal a paralyzed person. We saw him forgive sins. We saw him restore the sight. And we saw him in all of those things receive worship for them. Now this morning, let's see him demonstrate power over the spiritual realm. So we've seen him demonstrate power over the physical realm, over, the, uh, over sin and, and uh, 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 infirmities. We've seen him demonstrate power over nature, and today we're seeing him demonstrate power in the spiritual realm. The first miracle we're looking at is from Luke chapter 4. Then they went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and, and on the Sabbath he taught people. And they were amazed at his teaching because he had words Uh, His words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! They're always loud, these demons. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One. And Jesus says, shut up. That's the message version. Jesus says, be quiet in the NIV. He said, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. So that's shut up, right? Come out of him. 
Then the demon threw the, down the man before them all, and, then, and he came out without injuring the guy. And all the people are amazed, and they're saying to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So at the first part, we saw his teaching words had authority. He was not speaking on the authority of another rabbi. He didn't quote a different rabbi, or he didn't say it was said in the scriptures. He didn't even quote the Bible. Jesus was like, I say this. And they're like, what kind of authority this guy has? And then he command, his command to the demon has authority also, and the demon must obey. The demon recognizes that this is Jesus, the Holy One of God. The demon indicates that they're like, oh man, I know him, and I know something about him, that he's going to destroy us. And, and that's what the demon asks. Is this that time of destruction? Oh, is this that moment? Very interesting. In the next, keep that in mind, in the next one we're going to see something similar. And then all of the people notice that something is different about Jesus. He is coming with authority in both, both the way he speaks and how he talks to people, how he communicates, but, but he backs it up with a miraculous authority towards these demons. Okay, so what's it show about Jesus? That's the miracle. What does it show? It shows us that Jesus speaks in authority in his teaching and his communication with the spirit realm. It shows us that evil spirits recognize Jesus and they must obey his commands because he has power over spiritual beings. He is the highest alpha and the omega of the spirit world. Demons and angels all must obey Jesus. So Jesus taught with authority, and then he backed it up with a visible miracle. Because like I said before, it's one thing to claim to be God, but it's quite another to prove it. And this is another one of his proofs. Check out another demon encounter. And this is, I don't know if you can have a favorite demon encounter. It's probably like, you, know, you probably shouldn't, right? But this is my favorite demon encounter. Sorry, guy who's demon-possessed. But this one I think is incredibly interesting. And it's sad because it's sad for him. But it's in Luke chapter 8, another different encounter. So they sell, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this guy, he'd not worn any clothes, or he didn't live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. Oh, man. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of him. Many times it had seized the guy, and, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he broke his chains. And he'd been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked, what's your name? Not the man, he's asked to talk to the demon. And demons have deep voices, so he says, Legion. I don't know what they sound. He replied, because many demons had gone into him. Oh, man. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go to the abyss. So first thing I'm thinking is like, what's with all this yelling, right? Why are the demons always shouting and yelling? And I can't imagine a worse situation for a human being to be in. This man is in the worst possible situation of a human being. He is demon-possessed by many demons. A legion is a Roman military number of about 5,000. 
He didn't got a demon problem. He got a 5,000 demon problem. That's a big demon problem. <laughs> That's a huge problem. And the dude's naked. Always naked. Now, I, I'm a super modest. My, my family's super modest. The idea of being naked in public is one of those nightmares where you show up at school in your nightmare and you don't have any clothes and you're like, oh, I've, I have that nightmare dream. It would be terrifying. He's naked all of the time. And then he's, he's roaming around the tombs. He lives in a graveyard. I hate graveyards. Ask my wife. I hate graveyards. I think they're scary. I think they're, uh, they make me sad. Uh, and if it was nighttime in a graveyard, oh, man, I don't like scary movies at all. And I don't like scary stuff. And so, like, this, this sounds, and he's naked in this graveyard. And then he's also driven to be all alone. He doesn't even, even dream. There's no one to help him. There, there's no place he can go. They, they even try to chain the guy up. He's like, ah! and he took off. I'm living in the tombs. Like, oh, sucks. Talk about naked and afraid. This guy is it. But what else does the passage show? It shows that these demons are worried about judgment also, just like the first ones. They had this similar reaction. They said, oh, are you going to throw us into the abyss? They're, they're kind of referring to this idea, and they, they know uh, their own reality, is that Jesus is going to eventually cast all of hell and Satan into the lake fire where they're going to be judged permanently. Now, they're currently at loose on the earth. When they were cast out of heaven, where were they cast down to? Not hell. They don't live in hell. They were cast down to the earth. And so this is where they reside. And we see that each of them, each time they're like, oh, oh, Jesus, is, it, is that time? Are we getting destroyed right now? Uh, is it the abyss time? Oh, man. And it wasn't quite that. They didn't realize he had a second coming when that will happen. And it seems that the demons always recognize Jesus. And both sets of demons knew that their time was limited, and they knew that it was Jesus who would lay the smackdown on them eventually. But wait, there's more. There was a large herd of pigs that was feeding over on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went to the pigs, the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake, and they all drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off, they reported to town in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, he was dressed, <laughs> and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now the people are afraid? They were used to the strong demon, sort of naked tomb guy, but now... The calm, articulate man? No, that's terrifying. But why is it terrifying? Why are they afraid? Because what power could make that happen? They knew the guy's reality. They had interacted with him. They had tried to help him. They had tried to chain him up. They had tried to be with him. They tried all sorts of remedies. So what sort of power would cause this guy now to be clothed in the presence of others in his right mind, articulate, sharing his story? What kind of power can do that? And it made them afraid. Those who had seen it, they told people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got out into a boat and he left. But, but the man whom the demons had gone out, he begged to go with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home. 
and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and, and he told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. And this guy, he wants to be a disciple. But Jesus sends him to be a missionary. Yet he doesn't get any missionary training. He didn't go to seminary or the mission sending school. He doesn't have a complete understanding of all things God. He can't answer deep theological questions. And he has at best an incomplete Christology. At best, like he just met Jesus. So he doesn't have all the answers. And he doesn't even have half the answers. He doesn't even have 10% of the answers. And he hasn't even been to church. Remember, he had to be alone in the tomb. Yet he obeys and he gets to evangelizing. He simply tells people about how much Jesus has done for him. Now, we got to look in the mirror and at our list of inadequacies, our list of things that have been negative or or difficult in life and our own insecurities and and our lack of knowledge. And and we haven't been Bible trained. And and I didn't go to missionary school for for many of you. And you, you didn't go to seminary. And and, and you don't have all the knowledge. And, and we've got a long list of excuses for not evangelizing. And Jesus simply tells you the exact same thing he told him. Just return home and tell about what God has done for you. Just, just tell what God's done for you. That's it. That's being a missionary. Just You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to get trained. You don't have to have all these... Just go tell what God has done for you. What has he done for you? I don't know what it was like for you. It was like different for each of us when you met Jesus. How did he, how did he bring you peace? How did he help you in a difficult situation? I don't know. I don't know if you were in a gang and you were on drugs and he delivered you, or I don't know if you were at VBS when you were in third grade and that's when he came to you and you, and you touched his goodness and you felt his love. But that's your story. That, that's what you got to tell people. That's it. That's being a missionary which he called every single one of us to be right here, right now. Good Jesus Jones reference for those from the 80s. I used a Kanye the other day, so I thought I'd go older. Just tell what Jesus has done for you. That's it. That's, that's all he's asking. And I, I know that we feel inadequate, but what about that dude? He's way more inadequate than me. He, the day earlier, he was naked in tombs, so we got a leg up on that guy. What it shows about Jesus, I mean, one of the things it shows about Jesus is that he cares about someone's hurts and aches and pains, and he meets their needs. And it doesn't matter whether it's one demon or many, none of it phases Jesus. He's not concerned that there's a legion in there, it doesn't matter. The same command he gave to one, he gives to the many, and they all obey. Keep that in mind if ever you deal with demonic stuff, that Jesus is infinitely more powerful and has authority over every demon. They cannot say no to Jesus. They do not have the ability. Now, some of us wonder, why why don't we see this type of demon possession often in America? Like you hear about it in foreign countries sometimes, or maybe it happens at a retreat or these kind of things, but but it's not probably in our day-to-day that much in America. And I wonder why. Now, I have a guess. Here's my guess. We're not talking the Bible says, no difference between the Bible says, earlier stuff the Bible was saying that. Here's my guess as to why. This is the truth. The enemy is smart. That's not a guess. That's in the Bible. And I think if you encountered a demon, it would most likely cause you to do two things. 
Because I have very few demonic encounters in my life, even as a pastor. Only, only a couple, less than a handful. And one of the times uh, I was dealing with a kid who uh, was demon-possessed, a, a teenager who was demon-possessed. And uh, he, he was shouting out and doing some weird stuff. And so we prayed for him. Didn't shout, didn't do an exorcism, no head spun around, didn't vomit on him, nothing like that. Um, just prayed for him. And in the calmest little speck of faith that I have, <laughs> tell him not by my power, but by Jesus' power, demon has to listen. And so the demon left him for that minute. It took about 15 minutes, and then he was calm-minded. And I told him, hey, you know, if you want that to never happen again, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart to make him your Lord and Savior. Because once the Spirit lives there, a demon can never possess you. The demon can't dispossess or kick out the Holy Spirit. And he said, no thanks. <laughs> I'd rather have the demon. It's like, that's your choice, but this stuff is going to happen again then. And two things happened to me, and I think that everyone who interacted in that situation, the same two things kind of happened. The first thing that happened is, well, this didn't happen. The, the first feeling I had was, it was super scary. But the first thing I did was pray. And then I prayed that day, and I prayed all during the night, and then I prayed the next day, and then I prayed the next day, and my prayer life got way better. And the other thing is, spiritual realities became much more clear to me. And you think, oh, yeah, I, mean, I believe in God. But then there's, I believe in God, and there's like, oh, I believe in God. Like, it's right here, you know. And so that's why I think in America, when you talk about why don't we see demonic possessions a ton in America, because, because I think the normal reaction for Americans who, most Americans have been exposed to Christianity, is they would turn to God. They would pray, and, and they would seek spiritual reality. They'd say, oh, huh, maybe these spiritual things are true. They would consider the supernatural even more than they already do. Because Americans are firmly in the grasp of naturalistic worldview. Supernatural is way over here. We believe everything is naturalistic. You get sick, it's not because of demons, it's because you have a disease, or let's diagnose the illness, or you have a virus. We are incredibly naturalistic in our worldview. And so therefore, we don't consider God often. But, but if we started to see the supernatural regularly, then we would start to consider the supernatural regularly. And, and Satan doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to consider God. And so Satan will always use a tactic that's best at getting at you. And so for America, he doesn't have to do anything. People don't consider God. They're on the, they'll figure it out themselves. They'll go to a psychiatrist. They'll get a self-help book. They'll medicate with some drugs or some alcohol. They'll do some other form. And he doesn't even need to demon-possess anyone. They're willing to just look to naturalism all of the time. And so Satan knows America is pretty numb to God. We sort of have God as a lingo. We have it on our money. And so, we, yeah, we got God, but, but not, not really, right? We got God, but it's sort of God here. We're not like, oh, it's God. And you start to see demon possessions all over. You're like, oh, man, there's, then it's like God is here like this, not like God on my money. And so Satan knows that. And so I think that he wouldn't demon possess someone. If all of a sudden someone in this service jumps up and the demon possessed them, like, oh, man, we all praying right now. And Satan's not going to try to cause more prayer. He's not going to try to cause people to get near to God more. So why might we see it in other countries? Well, other countries, they're not naturalistic in their worldview. Other countries, many other countries, are supernatural in their worldview. Right? They already believe in, in uh, evil and uh, darkness and uh, uh, demons and, and devils and angels and this kind of all sort of stuff. And so what tactic would Jesus use? It? I mean, what, what tactic would 
the devil used in those worldviews. He would use something completely different. It would be, hey, since all the spirits exist, they all lead to the same path. Well, that's Buddhism. Now, that's a, about 20% of the world. Hey, since you believe in spiritual things, follow this God. That's another 20% of the world in Islam. And so he'll use whatever tactic is, is most likely to keep people away from the one true God. And in America, that tactic is like, oh, just let them mess themselves up. Don't show up or it's going to become too real for them. The enemy will always choose a strategy that best keeping people from God. So in this passage, we see that the supernatural world is real. And for now, we must be careful of the powerful demonic forces. However, we must also be aware of the power that Jesus brings and that he has authority over the entire spiritual realm. So don't ever underestimate the enemy. But on the flip side, don't underestimate the power of Jesus. Let's see it in our last miracle for today in Luke chapter 11. Now, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left the man who had been mute, uh, the man spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, hey, by Beelzebul, another name for the devil, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Now, others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven, and Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, any kingdom that's divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. Look, if Satan's divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Now, I say this because you're claiming that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? We're both quoting God. So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is the whole point of all of it, remember? Jesus is not only just claiming, he's showing with miraculous proofs that he is God, that he is the bringer of the kingdom. So what's it show us about Jesus? Again, that he's God, he has power over the spiritual realm, and additionally, he's the bringer of God's kingdom. He's the one that ushers God into our reality. It's Jesus who allows us access into heaven. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice and love for us that we can enter into the throne room of heaven, that we can have access to God, that we have the Holy Spirit residing in within us so that we need not worry about demonic possessions or those kind of things. The kingdom of God is now available for each of us to enter because of Jesus. He's the access point. He's the provider. He's the way, the truth, and the life, as John says in 14.6. Like the Bible teaches that we're all at war in a spiritual, against spiritual powers that are evil in this world. Like sometimes it's overt and obvious, like in today's passage, but most of the times for, for our community, it's not overt and obvious. It's subtle. It's crafty. It's quiet. It's manipulative. And it's much more dangerous. My daughter and I were having a discussion even on the way here today about like uh, how does how does Satan tempt me or or how does Satan approach me with kind of stuff and 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 how does he approach her you know and I said Satan has never told me that I'm not a pretty girl he has never said that to me never once never once has he brought doubt into my heart that I'm not a pretty girl but my daughter. He brings that doubt to her. It's not a reality. It's not truth. It's not God bringing it. But that, that's one thing that Satan brings to her, that perhaps, well, maybe I'm not a pretty girl. Now, never once has 
that been my, my struggle? Never once has a demon approached me and said, hey, you're not a pretty girl. I'm like, thanks? <laughs> but she says, my daughter asks, well, what, what kind of stuff does Satan say? Hmm, you're not a pretty boy. No, he says, uh, you're not a good pastor. You're inadequate for the job. Keep remembering your past. Let your past affect your now. Get sidetracked by things that aren't important. I don't know what the enemy's attack is on you, but I know it's real and it's powerful. And, and I imagine it's probably subtle that you're not going to survive this financial difficulty. That you can't handle your spouse's sickness. And I, I don't know what it is. But the enemy will always try to separate us from God. And the enemy is real and powerful. But you know what? God is real and infinitely more powerful. And Jesus is present with each of us. And the Spirit is living inside of us when we say we believe in Jesus. And so we need not fear the lies. We can reject them. You can say, shut up, demon. I am a pretty girl. I don't need to listen to your lies. I can listen to God's truth. We have the answer, and it's Jesus. We don't need to fear because we have the ultimate weapon. It's Jesus. We have the one who has power over all of the spiritual beings, and it's Jesus. I want to invite you actually to stand up with me as the praise band comes up. Would you stand here? Because I want to remind you of a, a verse that the Bible says in James 4, 17. It says this, when, whenever you encounter those doubts, those worries, the things that Satan comes and tries to tear you down with and separate God from you with, the Bible says this in James 4, 7, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's the formula. Say, God, I know you're with me. I know these are lies, and the, the enemy will flee from you. So let's take a few moments to pray personally. I don't know what the enemy attacks you with. It's a doubts about Christianity or it's, it's doubts about your own self or your life. I don't know. It's different for all of us. But you know what? I know the remedy is Jesus. I know when the Bible says in James that, that you can submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And you can walk in truth and righteousness and joy and glory and goodness as you have Jesus right at that center with you. Let's go ahead and hold that for a moment and then we're going to worship God.